Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris. I am pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. A privilege to welcome all of you, especially to welcome those of you in the overflow this morning and all of you at the Franklin campus. God bless you. I am so excited about what God is doing through you at Franklin, especially Pastor Eric and Natasha and all of you working down there. God bless you. I thank you so much for your service to the Lord. Open your Bibles first to Ephesians chapter 5 and then uh, have your thumb in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Uh, for our message this morning. First from Ephesians chapter five, beginning with verse 25. We're talking about the church again this morning. We're talking to the church, about the church, for the church. Of course, we know that the church is the bride of Christ and Jesus loves his bride. I love my bride too. I I love my wife, Casey. Uh, I I love her more than anything in the world. My wife is a professor at Western Kentucky University in the nursing program. I was in college, I know how people talk about their instructors, but one day I was gonna take Casey to lunch and I was walking in her building and I walked past this this, uh, group of students, nursing students apparently, who had just gotten a test back from my wife and they were talking about her and I heard it. I heard them say, Miss Harris this and Miss Harris that and Miss Harris this and Miss Harris that. And at first I I thought, I'm going to let this go. I'm going to walk right on past them because I was a student once and I remember talking about my instructors and and I know my wife grades harshly. I get graded harshly every day of my life. I, I, I know this. I know how she can be. So I just thought I'll let this go. But then one guy, and it was a guy, said, Miss Harris one more time and I couldn't take it. Now y'all know me, it is hard to push me to the level of fighting, but I was there. And I walked back and I stood right in the middle of them and I said, I am married to Miss Harris. They just all looked at me for a second. And then they said, we love Miss Harris. We love Miss Harris. She's a wonderful teacher and we love her. I said, well, I'm glad to hear it. And then I backed away. I kept my eyes on him, backed away, staring him down. Oh my goodness, you can say anything about me, but don't you talk about my wife, don't talk about my bride. And my feeling is that's how Jesus is about his bride. Be very, very careful before you criticize the church, not just this church in particular, but the glorious universal church which is the bride of Christ. Be very, very careful before you criticize or talk down about the church. And it's very, very common in the world to hear people ragging on the church. Don't you do it. It is the bride of Christ. And remember what scripture says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. Why? by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. We are the bride of Christ. We are the church that the scripture is speaking of, the church that Jesus loves. And this is what he is doing in our lives and in our church all of the time. He is engaged in a process with us that is going to result in our being presented to him as spotless, pure, without fault. Jesus loves, loves the church. Now flip back to 1 Samuel chapter 14. This has got to be one of my all-time favorite stories in Scripture. I say, I say that every Sunday. It seems like I do. I love them all, but I really love this one. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. This is a great message to the church, a great message to Woodburn, and a message to all of us who are ready to step out and do something great for God. 1 Samuel chapter 14. 
As we pick up in the story here, Saul, of course, is king over Israel. He is captain of the Lord's army. He has, of course, already been rejected because he is not a man of faith and not a man who will follow God. Where the story picks up here, we are at war with the Philistines, and because of the strategies of the Philistines, there are no more smiths, no more people who can work with metal in the land of Israel, which means now there are no swords. We're in battle, but the whole army of Israel only has two swords. One of them is held by Saul, the king, who has no intention of using it. The other one is held by Jonathan, his son. So understand where we are in this story. There's a battle going on, but only two swords. One Saul has, one Jonathan has. Let's pick up. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. One day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gebeah around the pomegranate tree at Migron. Among Saul's men was Ahijah the priest who was wearing the ephah, the priestly vest. Ahijah was the son of Ichabod's brother Ahitub, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord who had served at Shiloh. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sena. The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. All right, then, Jonathan told him, we will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we'll stop and not go up to them. Good plan. But if they say, come on up and fight, come up and fight, then we'll go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. When the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, Look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come on up here, and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on, climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer. His armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about a half an acre. Suddenly, panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and out in the field, including even the outpost and raiding parties. And just then, an earthquake struck, and everyone, was terrified. You've got to love that story. You've got to love that story. I have uh, in my possession today a pomegranate. You ever seen one of these? It, it's, it's a pomegranate. The scripture says they were sitting under a pomegranate tree. This is a pomegranate. It's, it's the real thing. You ever seen one? Do you know about pomegranates? They have a very interesting quality that I want to demonstrate for you now. Do you know what happens when you take a pomegranate and sit it down and just watch it? You know what happens? You ever seen this happen? You're about to. Hang on. You ready? I'm going to take a regular pomegranate. I'm just going to sit it right here And we're just going to watch. Now watch real closely. Watch what happens. You may have never seen this before. Okay, you ready? 
This is what happens when you take an ordinary pomegranate and let it sit at rest. What happens? Nothing. Yeah, of course. Of course. Absolutely nothing. Actually, this pomegranate is very wise. It is demonstrating one of Newton's laws of motion. It's a very basic, fundamental principle of God's creation. An object at rest will remain at rest unless acted upon by an outside force, in this case, me. Understand? An object at rest will remain at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. In science class, you probably learned that that is called the law of inertia. Say inertia. Inertia. The law of inertia. It's very, very simple. The law of inertia simply says that an object at rest, an object just sitting there, will sit there forever unless acted upon by an outside force. It's called inertia. I want to introduce this law to you because not only is it true in the physical universe, there is also a law of inertia in the spiritual universe, in the life of the spirit. Just as an object at rest, an ordinary object at rest will remain at rest, the same is true in your spiritual life. In the spiritual life, a person, a spiritual person who is at rest, who is idle, a spiritual person who is not growing will never grow unless acted upon by an outside force, which is the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? A person, a Christian, you might say, a person of faith who is not growing, who is not serving, a person who is idle, doing nothing, just sitting there, they will sit there till Jesus comes unless acted upon by an outside force who is the Holy Spirit. It's true of us in our individual lives. It's also true for us as a church. It's true in every church. A church that is inactive a church that is doing nothing, a church that is not following Christ, is not stepping out boldly, a church where nothing is happening is not going to see anything happen ever unless acted upon by an outside force that is the Holy Spirit. you understand? If a church is inactive, it will remain inactive until it invites the Holy Spirit to come and activate it. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the spiritual law of inertia. And honestly, some of you in your life right now, your spiritual life would be described with one word, and it is inertia. Inertia. Let's be honest, a lot of you, you're Sunday morning only Christians. You show up on, on Sunday, and that is the extent of your life of the Spirit. I'm not criticizing you. I'm not even judging you. I just want you to understand that this is not the ordinary Christian life. It is not ordinary for you or for me to, to call ourselves Christians and not to grow, not to serve, not to be stepping out in bold and audacious ways. That is not typical. It's not the Christianity that Jesus died and bled for. And the kind of church that is inactive, the church that is not a great commission church, the church that is not growing, that's not normal either. 
It is not normal for a church to be inactive. That is called inertia. And the problem is, once we settle into inertia, once we settle into idleness, once we settle into not growing, not serving, not doing anything, it's very, very difficult to break out of inertia. It's very difficult, very difficult to become active once you have allowed yourself to be inactive. When the story begins, there's a war going on, but you wouldn't even know it. There is a ferocious battle going on between the Israelites and the Philistines, but you might not even know it. Because where is the army of Israel? Where are they? There's a battle going on, but are they on the battlefield? No, they are sitting around the pomegranate tree. That's where they are. Isn't there a battle? Yes, there's a battle. Shouldn't they be fighting? Of course. But instead, they are sitting around the pomegranate tree. They are idle. They are doing nothing. They're not engaging the battle. They're not winning any kind of victory. They're not strategizing. They are sitting under the pomegranate tree. It's the law of inertia. They will sit there too lazy to scratch until something happens. Some outside force is going to have to explode them out of their inertia, out of their inactivity, out of their apathy. The only thing that will explode you out of your inertia is initiative. We need initiative. And initiative is what you see in this story. Initiative is what Jonathan has when he says, come on, let's go. It's simple. It's a miracle kind of moment, but that's all he says. Come on, let's go. And suddenly his initiative changes the course of this story. His initiative breaks his own inertia. That initiative is some deliberate choice that you have to make. It's a deliberate choice to be active again. It's a deliberate choice not to sit, not to just sit and sour, but somehow to serve. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, Initiative is what is so necessary in our spiritual lives, else we will live, settle into lives of idleness. We will make ourselves comfortable and sit there in our comfort until we die. But that's not what God wants. I praise God. Through 140 years of Woodburn Baptist Church history, we have always had people with initiative. We've never been a church that was comfortable just to sit and be comfortable. We've never been a church like that. We've never been a church that didn't have mission and vision and purpose. Now, there were years where the church wasn't growing visibly, but let's be honest, there were years when the community of Woodburn was shrinking visibly. I mean, I mean shrinking. This whole end of the county was drying up for a while, and our church survived, merely survived, while other churches in the Woodburn community died. And it survived because we have had people, always had people with initiative. People who were saying, come on, let's go, let's serve, let's pray, let's find out what God has for us and let's do it. It's called initiative. It's what breaks the church out of its inertia. Through the years, we've had these kind of moments, these miracle kinds of moments when people start something. And honestly, in church life, the miracle is not so much that we ever accomplish anything. The miracle is that we have the courage somehow to start something. And through the years, Woodburn Baptist Church has had that kind of initiative. People with that kind of courage and initiative. 
We've had folks who are willing to stand up and say, we should build. We should build a million-dollar church with just the, the 60, 70 of us around to pay for it. Let's do that thing. Let's cross the street. Let's do something new. Let's do something big. That's Woodburn Baptist Church. I remember the first time somebody said, you know, we can continue supporting missionaries to go, and we will, but what if we go? group of us took the first trip to Honduras together. It was amazing. A miracle kind of moment in our church. It's called initiative. It is what breaks the back of inertia in a church and in an individual's life. It's amazing. Amazing. Somebody around here says, hey, let's plant churches. How about 20 of them? And we all have a heart attack. But it's called initiative. It breaks us out of inertia. One year ago today, we could not have imagined what's happening in Franklin. We couldn't have imagined it. We were dreaming about it. God was planting the seeds of it in our hearts. We couldn't have imagined it. People at the Franklin campus are getting saved on Wednesday night and Sunday night and Saturday morning. I didn't know people could get saved on Saturday morning. I didn't even know that was a possibility. At Franklin, it's happening. That's exciting, that's thrilling. It's because of initiative. It's because this church was not content to sit with the others under the pomegranate tree and do nothing. Do you understand that the easiest thing in the world to do is nothing? That's the easiest thing in the world to do nothing. Easiest thing in the world to do is just to get comfortable, just to settle in, just to make the church kind of a nice social club for the members where we take care and, and pamper one another Sunday after Sunday. That's the easiest thing in the world to do. But the easy thing is never God's will. Do you understand that? There's a world dying and going to hell. There is a thing called the Great Commission. Doing the easy thing, the comfortable thing, is just not an option for us right now. It's not an option for you personally, and it's certainly not the mission of any church and not ours. The easiest thing in the world to do is nothing. And it's very, very difficult to break that inertia. It's very difficult to leave the others under the pomegranate tree. But that's where most people are. Do you see what I'm saying? Most people are idle spiritually. Many, many churches are idle spiritually. And when you step out and start trying to do something, when you begin to show initiative, all of a sudden those caught in their inertia are probably not going to be pleased with you. We're experiencing that in Franklin Lots of people are supporting what's going on in Franklin. Lots of people are excited. But I'm also hearing the other voices, typically the ones under the pomegranate tree. One guy asked me, what are y'all doing coming down here in Franklin? And anyway, ain't there enough to do in Warren County? Well, there's this little thing called the Great Commission. This, this small thing, it's called the Great Commission that says to go. You just go. So yes, there's plenty to do in Warren County, but there's a whole world out there, and we are called to go. But when you go, don't necessarily expect that all those under the pomegranate tree are going to celebrate you. Read this story. When Jonathan and his armor bearer are victorious, what happens under the pomegranate tree? They get all bent out of shape. They start taking role. They're not excited that there's a victory going on. They're just wondering who's out there out of place. Oh. 
It's very difficult to be trapped under that pomegranate tree. It's difficult to be caught in the grip of idleness. It's very difficult to break the bonds of inertia. But initiative will do it. Spiritual initiative will do it every single time. You just got to love Jonathan. I can't believe this guy. I can't believe that he had the courage even to say the words out loud to his armor bearer. Now remember, they're all under the pomegranate tree doing nothing. It's safe there. There's a battle out there somewhere, but not under the pomegranate tree. Nothing happens under the pomegranate tree. And Jonathan, one moment, looks at his armor bearer and says, you won't believe what I'm thinking. You won't believe what I'm thinking. I can't even believe what he's thinking. I can't believe he'd say it to anybody, but he says, tell you what, let's me and you go. Let's just me and you, we'll go fight the Philistines. It's just, just me and you, let's go fight them. Forget the fact that I'm the only one who has a sword. You come with me. Do you understand that? He's asking a man who has no sword to come and guard his back. That's amazing. And then notice what he says. It's interesting. Jonathan would never be one of those you know, big motivational speakers. He says, why don't you come with me? What's the key word there? Verse 6, let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Perhaps? You're asking me without a sword to come fight with you, and your word is perhaps? Perhaps? Oh, yeah, it's perhaps. See, Jonathan isn't doubting what God can do. Jonathan says, you know, if God wants a victory, he can have a victory no matter how many there are, with many or a few. It's God's battle. It's God's victory. He can do it with or without us, but, but let's go and see if perhaps he'll use us. It's, it's perhaps. It's an amazing word, actually. Learn to get comfortable with it because in the life of the Spirit, in the life of stepping out to do God's will, you're going to run into a whole lot of perhapses. Is that a word, perhapses? You're going to meet a lot of perhapses. There's not that much certainty or it's not that kind of certainty when you're living the life of faith. You're going to have a big, great, big perhaps in front of you. Perhaps God will use us. Perhaps God will fight for us. Maybe he will. That's amazing. Would you follow a man who says perhaps? Perhaps God will do something great. Perhaps he will. Perhaps he will use us. Perhaps he will. But you know what? I would rather have Jonathan's perhaps than Saul's pomegranate tree. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because I'm telling you, God's not going to use the crowd under the pomegranate tree. He's not going to win the victory with those who are idle and doing nothing. He's not going to use the ones too spiritually lazy to scratch. He's not going to use them. It's never going to happen if you don't step out. Now, you're going to step out, and the best you'll have sometimes is a perhaps. But I would rather have that perhaps. I'd take it all day long. I'd take it all of my life. I would rather have Jonathan's perhaps than the whole crowd under the pomegranate 
giant tree. Because out there in the battle is where God is. It's where God is moving out there in the world where the lost people are, where the broken people are. We could sit here in these pews all day long, but this isn't where God's going to use us to do something great for the world. It's out there. Perhaps if we go out there, he'll go with us and use us. Perhaps he will. I'll take that perhaps. I'll take it all day long. It's powerful. Perhaps God will do something great. Perhaps he will. I've struggled with this. I've struggled because as a pastor and a leader, I often don't feel like I have great faith. I remember when the church was talking about taking a special offering to buy the property that you're sitting on right now. This is amazing. We're going to buy this property. We were in a deacon's meeting across the street, and I was going to be a, a man of vision, and, and God had laid it on my heart. Let's take up an offering. Take up an offering, and, and, and let's raise the money to, to buy the property. Let's take up an offering. And I planned, you know, maybe an offering that would last, you know, something like six years. I'd make a big poster with, it, with a thermometer on it, and, and maybe between now and when, when our kids all go to college, we'll pay for the land. But one of the deacons, one of the deacons said, hold on a minute. Why don't we collect it in one Sunday? Let's do it in one Sunday. I almost peed my pants. <laughs> Thinking, we can't do that. That's going to be embarrassing. It's going to be really embarrassing. Have we ever passed a plate and got that much money ever? I guess that scared me to death. That was the deacons, people. That was not your leader. I was scared to death. And that day I had a speech prepared for when we collected the big 29 bucks on the way to ever how many thousand. I mean, I wasn't seeing it. I wasn't feeling it. I think maybe perhaps, but I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Some of you were there when we took up that offering. <laughs> we did it in one Sunday. We did that in one Sunday. You're sitting on the property. That somebody had the courage to say, you know what, perhaps we can do that in one Sunday. And I'll take that perhaps. I'll take it all the time. Because if you step out, perhaps God will do something great. God will show up. God will show out. God will do something great. But you've got to step out first. You've got to step out first. So Jonathan dares to speak what's in his heart. He dares to say what who in the world would be thinking. Let's go. Let's let the two of us, let's just go. He's willing to share what's in his heart with his armor bearer. This is what I'm thinking, that, that you and I, we can go, let's just go see what happens. Perhaps God will, will do something for us. And what does the armor bearer say? It's so amazing. It's so beautiful. This is the church, brothers and sisters. The New Living Translation doesn't do a good job of, 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 of conveying the words that the armor bearer says. But what he says literally is, I am with you according to your heart. That's the literal Hebrew phrase. I am with you according to your heart. In other words, I, I am with you completely, heart and soul. We are going to be joined at the heart. That's what he says. You know, Jonathan's right. God could win the victory with many or with a few. It doesn't matter how many go. If Jonathan goes by himself, God could give him victory. But, but isn't it wonderful to have somebody with you? Isn't it wonderful to step out in courage, to step out in faith, to step out and know that there's going to be somebody who will have your back, somebody with whom you'll be joined at the heart? 
There's a group under the pomegranate tree. They're united in their inertia. They're united in their inactivity and their idleness. They are united in their nothingness. But Jonathan and his armor bearer, they become united, joined at the heart because of their mission and because of their purpose. And it's an audacious, daring kind of mission. But these two men joined at the heart are going out on the basis of a perhaps God. And I love it. And they go. And they start to fight. Do I need to remind you that the armor bearer doesn't have a sword? What is he doing? He's got Jonathan's back. Jonathan is fighting out this side with the sword. The armor bearer is in the back like Macho Camacho. It's all he can do. He's fighting hand and claw. and He's beating with whatever he can find, rocks, sticks. He has no sword. And they have to fight like this. Don't miss this. They have to fight like that. And they fight, and they fight, and they fight. And they are desperately outnumbered, impossibly outnumbered. And all they have is one sword and a perhaps from God. And out they go, and they fight, and they fight, and they fight, and they fight. And then an earthquake. Honestly, God gets on my nerves so bad sometimes, and this is one of those moments. They're fighting, and they're fighting, and they're fighting, and they're fighting, and then, oh, you know, sometime later, God sends an earthquake. If you're Jonathan and the armor bearer, what would you be thinking? Thanks for that earthquake. We'd have loved to have it 25 minutes ago. We'd have loved to have that earthquake when the whole thing started My goodness, if God would just always show up on the front end of things, if God would show up in his power at the front, if God would somehow show up in his power before I have to fight in my power. But honestly, this is how God works most of the time. Your effort in the spirit, your effort in faith, eventually gets met by God's earthquake. But usually your effort comes first. It wouldn't be faith if God showed up on the front end. It wouldn't require our kind of faith if God always came on the front end and fought the battle for us. But unfortunately, or fortunately, God's going to ask us to fight first. And it's going to take everything we've got. They're climbing. The scripture says hand and feet. They're clawing their way up the mountain. They're clawing their way through battle with one sword and a perhaps from God, and that's all they've got. And they fight, and they fight, and they fight. It takes extreme effort, brothers and sisters. And if you think that the victory comes automatically, if you think that the earthquake will come the moment you step out, you're going to be sorely disappointed the, the effort was required first, and then the earthquake. God came, and God fought, and God gave them every ounce of strength, but that doesn't mean they didn't have to fight with every ounce of strength. It takes effort. It takes work. If it were easy, everybody would be doing it, but it's not easy. That's why everybody else sits under the pomegranate tree, but we're not going to do that, are we? We don't want to live in that kind of idleness, do we? I mean, if we step out, if we begin to put forth effort, God will show up. God will bring the earthquake one day. God will bring the ultimate, final, glorious victory. But first, it might require a lot of effort. Brothers and sisters, by the power of God, we planted a church. 
We really did it. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Brother Tim, do you really think that video ministry is going to work? Perhaps. Perhaps. It takes effort, and it doesn't happen automatically, and the return doesn't come quickly. You have to fight. You have to work. It's true as a church. It's true for you individually. God has given us as a church a vision to plant 20 churches. That's a tremendous undertaking. Will we ever accomplish that? Perhaps. But if we fail, wouldn't it be magnificent to plant, oh, I don't know, 12 on the way to 20? Wouldn't it be magnificent? But it takes effort. It's going to start with us individually. You have to break out of your own inertia. As individuals, we have way too many of us, way too many church members who are not serving, are not growing, simply showing up. Under the pomegranate tree, you sit so comfortably, and I love you, but as your pastor, I'm very concerned for your spiritual life. And I'm saying with all the love in my heart, you've got to break out of that inertia, out of that idleness. You've got to find a way to grow and serve and move forward. You've got to do that. It is not an option for you as a believer to sit and do nothing for Christ your whole life. What a waste. What a waste. At Woodburn Baptist Church, one of the ways we talk about this kind of commitment, this kind of action, is what we call the triple two challenge. This morning, if you look at the front of your worship folder, you'll see it described if you've never seen it before, and I know most of you have. Triple two challenge is just a simple way that we talk about commitment, that we talk about growing spiritually, and it's really very simple. And I want you to consider making a commitment to this kind of life. Triple two challenge are two things, I'm sorry, three things that every single week we want to commit two hours to as individuals and as a church. The first one, two hours in worship. Two hours in worship on both of our campuses, we offer three opportunities for worship every single week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'm asking you to step up and always be present at two of those. Two hours of worship every single week, you can do that. Scripture says, do not forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but come together all the more. Encourage one another as you see the day approaching. Two hours in worship, that's not too much. Think about the hours you spend watching TV, two hours in worship is not that much. Second, two hours in Bible study. Now, again, both campuses, we have Sunday school in the 10 o'clock hour. I know some of you are in the habit of leaving. Get in the habit of staying. We have classes for everybody, small group Bible study, and it's great. We have great opportunities for you. That's one hour. Actually, it's only 50 minutes, but we'll let you round up. That's your first hour. The second hour in Bible study, I'd like to ask you to do privately. About 10 minutes a day reading your own Bible. If you will do that, you will begin to grow. You will begin to grow in faith. You'll begin to hear God's voice. You're going to, for the, perhaps the first time in your life, really begin to find out what it means to follow Christ. Two hours in Bible study followed by two hours in service. I don't mean like the morning service or the evening service. I mean out there serving there are lots of opportunities to serve inside the church, and I want you to take advantage of those. You need to be using your gifts for the good of the body of Christ. That's what Scripture says. And every single one of us has a purpose. Every single one of us has a, a gift. Now you say, Brother Tim, I don't know what my gift is. I, we don't know what your gift is either, but start doing something, and let's find out what you can do. Everybody has a gift. 
We don't really know what yours is. Some of you, honestly, whatever part of the body you might be, we've yet to discover. Some of you might be the appendix. You're not really doing much, but one day you'll explode and kill us. I don't know. I just don't know. But everybody has a function. Every single one of us has a purpose. All of us. You need to find your function, find your purpose, and start to serve. Listen to me. If you don't serve, you will not grow as a Christian. You will not grow spiritually. If you're not serving, you can't grow. You gotta serve, but not just inside this church. Not just inside the church. Get out there, learn to know your neighbors. God has put you in your life with a very specific mission. It's not an accident that your kids play soccer and you're at that soccer complex most Saturdays of your life. That's no accident, that's a mission. It's no accident that you work where you work with all of those people, those horrible, foul-mouthed, loud partying people. That's no accident, that's your mission. Two hours of service, perhaps an hour here inside the church, but definitely get out there. Serve the Lord in the places where you go. That's when you find out what it means to follow Christ. It's effort, brothers and sisters, and this is where it starts. It starts in your own life, becoming serious about following Christ, serious about breaking out of your own inertia and idleness. You've got to make a deliberate decision to grow and be active. I'm not describing something new to you. This is the Christian faith from Scripture. You're a part of the body of Christ. you got to worship and learn and and grow. That's our life. Jonathan and his armor bearer get out there, and they start putting forth their effort. And the longer they fight, the more effort they put out, the more momentum that they gather. And that's some marvelous thing. There's a momentum that kicks in where suddenly they realize, you know, if we just keep doing this, If we just keep doing this, just think about how far it could take us. And this is what is beginning to happen at Woodburn Baptist Church. If we just keep doing these things, if we continue to worship and learn, if we continue to grow and serve, if we continue to reach out and plant churches and follow the Great Commission, just think about how far that the Lord could take us. And and this is our plan. We just want to keep on growing and keep on working and keep on engaging the battle. Well, what about that 2020 vision? That's huge. 20 churches by the year 2020. I think we can do that. I think God wants us to do that. You know what excites me about that? If we're going to plant that many churches between now and the year 2020, that means a good number of those pastors who are going to plant those churches one day, they're probably teenagers today. I'm talking to you guys probably teenagers today, some of you guys, some of these guys might be pastors and planting churches. I I really like that. Because honestly, planting churches is not about buildings. The way it happened in Franklin was marvelous. God did that. But I'm not thinking that we'll continue to find buildings sitting around waiting for us to come and take them over. I don't think it works that way. I really think that to plant churches, we need to be multiplying leaders. I think we need to focus on developing pastors. If we develop 20 pastors, those pastors will plant 20 churches. Do you understand how that works? If we're going to multiply churches, we need to multiply leaders. And this is the challenge I want to put in front of Woodburn Baptist Church today. So listen to me closely. How many of you right now are workers, deacon, nursery workers? You sweep the parking lot, you drive the van, whatever you do, raise your hand. Both campuses, you're workers. Awesome. Thank you so much for serving. I want to give you a new job. I want to give you a new job. 
I want to ask you as a servant, ask you as a person who's working in the church, I want to ask you to duplicate yourself. I want you to find somebody that you can train to do what you do. You find somebody with whom you can be joined at the heart and you teach them to do what you do. This is a very basic scriptural principle. Let me give you another three twos. Two, Timothy, two, two. It's a Bible verse, 2 Timothy 2, two. This is what the word of God says. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. This is how the church was intended to grow from the very beginning. Those who receive gifts, those who receive knowledge, you look for others, you try to pass that on to somebody else. And then those people will pass it on to others. Our mission as a church, Woodburn Baptist Church, is to multiply leaders, to multiply workers and servants, and we all must be engaged in doing that. Whatever it is you do, you need to find somebody, train somebody, who can learn to do what you do. As we do that, churches will multiply. Easiest thing in the world to do is nothing. Easiest thing in the world to do is just cruise in on a Sunday morning, listen to a sermon, listen to some singing, and go back home and get on with your life. Anybody can do that, but is that really what you want to do with your whole Christian life? Is that really what you think God has called and created you for? Don't you really want to be a part of something larger, some grander purpose? Don't you really want to think that God will use your life to make a difference? Isn't that really deep down what you want? My goodness, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men sitting under that pomegranate tree on that afternoon. But Jonathan and his armor bearer made an audacious choice. They took initiative. They broke out of that idleness and inertia. And they said, what if we go? What if we go out and we try something new? What if we go out and we engage the battle? What if we go? And do you not understand? They went. And God used them in a miraculous way. For the rest of their lives and now our lives as well, people are still telling the story of God's glory in the day that Jonathan and his armor bearer did that impossible thing on the basis of one sword and a perhaps from God. And still we're telling the story of God's glory. Wouldn't you love one day to be the kind of church, to be the kind of Christians that we could leave that kind of story for our grandchildren to tell about us, that kind of story for the church of the future to tell about us? Wouldn't you love to leave a story of God's glory, God's power, God's working, God's victory? Wouldn't you love to leave a story like that? There will never be a story to tell about idle people. There will never be a story to tell about people who don't worship, don't learn, don't grow. God will not use the crowd under the pomegranate tree who aren't doing anything. But those who will take some initiative, those who will put forth some effort, those who will step out courageously, faithfully, do what they can do, God will answer them, answer their efforts with an earthquake of his glory, an earthquake of his glory. Pray with me.
Lord Jesus, it's not about us. It's not for us. It's nothing to do with us, Lord. It is your battle. It is your great commission. It is your world to save. But God, if you can use us, we just want to be used. Oh, God, if we step out, all we know is perhaps you'll choose to bless our efforts. Perhaps, Lord, you will work in miraculous ways. Perhaps you will add your great power to our meager power and maybe use us to accomplish something great for the world, great for your kingdom. God, it's about your kingdom. Lord Jesus, forgive us because we are always tempted, always tempted, Lord, to settle and be comfortable. Always tempted, Lord, to let other people do the worshiping, to let somebody else do the Bible study, to let somebody else serve our neighbors. But Lord, let us not be satisfied with our idleness, with our inertia. Oh God, stir us today with a holy spiritual initiative to step out boldly, broadly, find out what you will do with people who are willing to take some initiative. Jesus, we don't want to take a step without you. We don't want to make a move, Lord, without the movement of your Holy Spirit. But Lord, we promise you lead us, we will follow wherever you lead. Stir our hearts, Lord Jesus. Let this church move forward, joined together by the very blood of Jesus joined at the heart of our mission and our purpose. Stir our hearts, Lord Jesus. Join our hearts. Send us out. For Jesus' sake, amen.